We thank you, Lord, that you are the creator of all things, and all that you have done is good, but it was tainted by sin. But we're thankful that you sent Jesus, you sent the eternal Son of God, to redeem us from our sins, and all of creation groans until that day of redemption when Christ comes back and it all be restored again. Lord, help us to value and glory in the gospel, the only gospel that can save sinners. And teach us wondrous things out of your word tonight. By your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me to John chapter 6. And our portion of scripture this evening will be verses 26 down through 36. John 6, beginning at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said therefore to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said therefore to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now, in the other part of, of chapter 6, what, what have we seen We've seen Jesus do no less than six miracles. First of all, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, probably a crowd of 13,000 people. Fed them with five loaves of bread, two fish. Second miracle is that once he performed that miracle, the people saw the sign, they were amazed and said, he's got to be the prophet. And they were obviously referring to the prophet that Moses referred to that would be greater than him. In other words, you are the prophet, you are the Messiah. That's what that implied. And then they, because of that, because they understood that on that level, 
They wanted to take him by force. They wanted to kidnap him and make him king over Israel. The fact that Jesus knew what they were thinking, that obviously is a miracle. Third, we're told that Jesus, when the, after he fed the 5,000 and he departed to the mountain to pray, the disciples decided at, during the night <coughs> to cross back across the Sea of Galilee. About 3 a.m., it's dark, and Jesus sees them struggling. How could Jesus see them struggling in the dark? That's another miracle. And then the next miracle is that he comes walking on the water. Obviously a miracle. And then a fifth miracle, not recorded in John, but recorded in Matthew's account, he that Peter wants to come out, and so Jesus enables Peter to walk on water. And then he loses, he doubts, sinks, and Jesus rescues him. Nonetheless, that is a miracle to allow Peter to walk. And then finally, once Peter and uh, Jesus got in the boat, they were halfway across the sea. They were immediately on the other side. That's another miracle. So all these, these miracles were done and they were signs. And let me just remind you again what the purpose of the gospel of John's is. He says in John chapter 20, 30 and 31, this is what he says. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. If they had been written, you may, that they were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So the whole purpose of John's gospel account is to talk about signs. And only John talks about that. Matthew does it, Mark does it, Luke does it, but John does. Now it's important again that we emphasize what is the, re the relationship between wonders and signs. The wonder is the miracle. The guy who was lame from birth, uh, the miracle of uh, the feeding of the 5,000 5, men, that, that crowd, all of these were to create a sense of awe in the viewer. And the, the miracle, the wonder is designed to create that awe, but to point to something beyond the miracle, meaning a sign. And it's, it's no different than if you're driving down the road and uh, one of these windy roads and you see the yellow sign that has a, a curve, you better pay attention because what that means, the sign says, up ahead is a curve. So the sign is telling you something of a reality. The miracles of Jesus were designed to indicate he is the son of God. He really is the Messiah. And the sign, the miracles that were done by the apostles after Jesus ascended were for the same purpose to create an awe to authenticate the message. Then you better listen to Peter, better listen to Paul because they are doing miraculous things. So on a lesser sense, it's still those wonders were done to point to something greater. 
Now, as incredible as these miracles were that were designed to lead someone to faith in Christ, because that's the ultimate goal, is to lead them in faith in Jesus, not everyone who saw those miracles really saw. And everyone who heard Jesus teach really didn't hear. So seeing they did not see, hearing they did not hear. I want you to turn over to Matthew 13 for a moment. Look at at verses uh, 13 through 16. That's what Jesus said um, to some of the Jews. He said, Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. So, what Jesus says, turn back to John 6, and look at verse 26. Now, Jesus is speaking to the, the crowd now that followed him to the other side. And so th- this is whom he's speaking to, all, this crowd that he fed. And he says to him in verse 26, <clears throat> truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So, <clears throat> Though they saw and though they recognized he had to be this great prophet, had to be probably the prophet, they really didn't see what they should have seen. And Jesus said, you're not seeking me for the real purpose behind the sign, but all you're concerned about is your physical needs, that I fed you some loaves of bread and fish. That's why you're following me. And by the way, that's why there were large crowds because he, was, he would heal them of their, all their diseases. And I, I was just thinking about that and some of these, those or other persuasion, they have these healing ministries and they have these, uh, with, with thousands of people come out where they're supposedly, the preacher is going to heal them like they did in apostolic days, but they don't do anything like what Jesus did or the apostles did. And so that things never change. You wonder why those people there, well, they want to be healed of, of the, what's, what's ailing them. That was no different than what these Jews wanted. They wanted food and they wanted to be healed of their diseases. That's why they were following Jesus. And though they saw these wonders, they really did not see spiritually. <clears throat> Now, this is no different than all those that came out of Egypt. 
when uh, the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. What wonders did they see? Well, they saw the Red Sea open and they crossed over on dry land. And then the sea covered them up, Pharaoh's army, and they were delivered. They saw that. And then they were in a desert area. And when they were hungry, what did God do? He gave them manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, what did he do? He gave them water. Moses struck the the rock and it poured forth water. But even though they saw these miracles, God had a scathing accusation against them. Because he says in Hebrews chapter 3, he says, They saw my works for 40 years, but they always go astray in their hearts, and they do not know God's ways. Now you think about that. They saw my works, my wonders, 40 years And they still didn't, though they saw, they really didn't see. Though they heard, they really didn't hear. And Hebrews 3 says, they had evil, unbelieving hearts and falling away from the living God. And God said, I swore in my wrath, they will never enter my rest. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, the majority of those who came out of Egypt perished in their sins. In other words, they weren't true believers. The majority, maybe some estimate 2 million people came out of Egypt. So a majority would be at least a million or more did not really know the true and living God and perished in their sins. They saw, but they didn't really see. They were unable to enter because of unbelief, that's why they were didn't enter. Unbelief was what killed them spiritually. Now, in Hebrews, I think it's interesting, right after chapter 3, chapter 4 of Hebrews, verses 1 and 2, is very instructive because it says this, After talking about how they, God, uh, they they perished in their sins, they didn't enter the land of Canaan, and because of the hardness of their heart, their unbelief, and then verse one and two, it says, "Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it." Now he's talking to the Hebrew, who's writing. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. You remember how that, that phraseology that Jesus gave several times when he would speak? He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, but what do you got to hear? You got to hear God's truly speaking to your heart. Those in the wilderness, they heard good news, but it didn't do anything because there was no faith. That's why. They had a heart of unbelief, and that's why they failed to enter 
the promised land, which is a figure, by the way, in Scripture, of eternal rest of heaven in the New Testament. Now, back to John 6, in verse 27, uh, Jesus exhorts the people, this group he's talking to, who he already said, you're not seeking me because you really saw signs, but because of the food. So he, he says to these people, do not work for the food which perishes, which obviously is physical food. That's what, that should not be your primary concern, says Jesus. But labor for the food that leads to eternal life that the Son of Man can give. Now that is what you should be laboring for. Now, do you remember the temptation of the devil to Jesus when he was in the wilderness? Right after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit led him into the wilderness uh, for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. And one of the temptations, as you know, is obviously Jesus is hungry. And the devil says, well, if you are the, the son of God, then command these stones to turn into bread. And what was Jesus' response? Well, he said, it is written, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, don't be, your primary concern should not be that food, though you need that food, that should not be your primary concern. But your concern should be every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. Now, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 to the devil. And if you were to look up, we don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 8.3, God was testing Israel in the wilderness to see what was in their heart and whether they would believe. That's, why, that's what it says in Deuteronomy. God tested Israel to see what was in their heart and to see if they would truly believe in him and not just because of the food that they were receiving. He wanted to know if they would believe in him and if they would obey his commandments. Well, he gave them the test, and as Hebrews 3 points out, they failed the test. Most of them did. Now, by the way, so these Jews whom Jesus is dealing with in John 6 here, they are really no different than those children of Israel that came out of Egypt. No different. Those coming out of Egypt again saw signs and wonders, but they didn't believe. These people saw the miracles of Jesus, but they didn't really believe him. Because Jesus says, he sees their heart. So you've got to understand, Jesus knows what people are thinking because he's God. He knows what's in the hearts. He knows the condition of people's hearts because he's God. And he saw in these Jews their real motive in following him. And he knew there was a sham, spiritually speaking. We're told that when Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, what was he doing before he fed them? Matthew's account says he was teaching them the kingdom of God. 
So they heard all these great truths about the kingdom of God, but it didn't do them any good. They were just like what Jesus said that Isaiah prophesied. In hearing, they didn't hear, and seeing, they didn't see. They were only interested in physical food and what healings they could get from Jesus. That was their, their whole concern. Now, by the way, is, is this not sort of similar to what we read in, in John chapter 4? Do you remember the Samaritan woman? Sitting, Jacob, uh, Jesus sitting by Jacob's well. She wants this water. Jesus says, I can give you water that you will never thirst again. Oh, really? She was thinking about physical water. Yeah, I want, she says, I want this water. But then Jesus knew she really didn't yet understand that the water he's talking about is not physical water, but spiritual water. Now, later on, we, we know from that account in John 4, the Samaritan woman will finally come to understand the truth because she goes back and tells the inhabitants of the city, and she says, is this, is this the prophet that we've been looking for? And it turns out those people, the men come out to hear Jesus, and there was, and Jesus stayed with them two days and there were a lot of converts in that day. So there was a great difference in the, in the Samaritan woman and what happened in the city that she was from as opposed to these Jews whom Jesus is dealing with. They, were, they eventually saw the real purpose of the sign. They saw the wonder. And remember, they were amazed. Now, what was the wonder that convinced the inhabitants of, of the city of Samaria, the fact that Jesus told her her whole past history, that she had had, had five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. Now that amazed them. Now it was a miracle. They saw for what it was and they believed. These Jews were different. They, they saw but they didn't believe. And so what we need to understand here, the main lesson that God is, is seeking to teach us is that in our life, our chief concern must not be our physical needs. That should not be our chief concern. So I only direct you to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter Six. I mean, yeah, Matthew 6, verses 25 and following. Remember, he says, do not be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or how you're going to clothe yourselves. He says, the birds of the air, they don't, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Observe the lilies of the field, how they're clothed. Solomon, in all of his glory, didn't clothe himself just like these lilies of the field. Jesus says, God knows that you need these things. But he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these physical needs will be given to you. God knows that we need these things because we're physical creatures. But at the same time that he knows these things, he's always trying to convey to us 
that is not to be the primary thrust of our life. Let me just mention, <clears throat> draw your attention to Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, which says, <clears throat> Labor not to be rich. Cease from thy own wisdom. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. Now, let's understand this in the total picture of the teaching of God's word and the teaching of Proverbs. God has nothing, has nothing against making money. That's not the point. And there's nothing wrong in to make as much money as we can, rightfully earned, I mean, those of us that are in business, why are we in business? To make money. That's why we're in business. But that is not to be our whole goal to make money. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I mean, the Proverbs talks about uh, being diligent in your work, in the diligent hand, God rewards. That means you, you will make a greater profit if you're diligent. But it's not to be your thrust because riches are tenuous. I was reading not long ago, maybe a week ago, about the, what has happened to 10 lottery winners. It is pretty sad. I mean, really sad. The worst one was a young man in West Virginia who won $330 million in the Powerball. He chose to take the one-time lump sum, which was 100, and then he only only got 170 million. After taxes, he had 115 million. So what did he do? Well, one thing, he got $500,000 in cash and put it in a suitcase in his car. Why would anybody put $500,000 in a suitcase in a car? Guess what happened? Someone stole the suitcase. So he lost $500,000 like this. And guess where he spent and lost the other money? Gambling. You go, hold on here, time out. I thought he just won the Powerball. What's he doing in a casino? Because he's an idiot. That's why I'm just going to say it. And he loses it and he ends up broke within, I forget, three years. Broke. And that's how it usually ends with these people. They don't know how to, <clears throat> they've earned nothing. They wanted to get rich. And just like the proverb, it was like an eagle and just flew away all that money. Yeah, we work uh, and we can gain profit, but that is not to be our thrust in life. God will take care of us because he's promised to take care of us. All of our needs. Remember what Paul says? With food and clothing, let us us therewith be content. As long as we got food to eat and a house over our heads, things to wear, then we ought to be satisfied. The rest is a bonus. 
Look at it that way. It's a bonus to us. Well, in our text in John, verse 27, Jesus is stressing the proper kinds of works of God. Now, Jesus says that the Father has set his seal upon the Son with power. Now, the Father set his seal on the Son essentially at Jesus' baptism because it was at his baptism that the dove came down, the Holy Spirit came in the, in the likeness of a dove, sat upon him, and a voice spoke out. John the Baptist heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God set his seal upon Jesus, and it was at his baptism that he gave him the power to do the miracles that were signs. And so the father was bearing witness to the son. By all these miracles, he enabled the son to do. And what was the purpose of the miracle? I am the Messiah. You better believe in me in order to have eternal life. That's why the father gave his stamp of approval upon me. You know, as a, an important aside, it's not that much of an aside, you know, the town, when Jesus went to minister in Galilee of the Gentiles in the land of the Naphtali, <clears throat> you know what his headquarters wa- were? His headquarters were Capernaum. That's where, that was his base of operation, Capernaum. And a lot of the miracles that Jesus did was either in Capernaum or very close nearby in proximity to Capernaum. Turn with me to Luke 10 for a moment. Luke 10, verses 13 through 16. Notice Jesus' condemnation of several of these cities. Verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you... Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to hell. The one who listens to you listens to me. He's talking to his disciples now. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. You think about this. Remember Jesus said, a prophet is not honored in his own town like at Nazareth. When Jesus went to Galilee, he didn't go to Nazareth. He is, like I said, his headquarters was Capernaum. Saul so in Bethsaida was not very far away from Capernaum. So this small geographical area <clears throat> saw many of the miracles of Jesus. But did it do him any good? 
No. It didn't do them any good. They saw, but they did not see. They heard, but they did not hear. I mean, that's a great tragedy. So, in John 6, 28, how, how did these Jews whom Jesus talked to, how did they respond to the idea that Jesus says, you got to do the works of God? And they said to Jesus, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? So they said, well, if that's the way it's going to be, then what, what do we do, Jesus? And in verse 29, Jesus responds and says, Well, the true work of God is this. The real work of God is to believe that the Father has sent me. That is the real work of God. Now, the real, in other words, the real work of God is to have faith in Jesus. That is the real work of God. You want to know the works of God? There it is. Believe in me that you may have eternal life. Now, we've got to understand that the Pharisees and many of the Jews whom Jesus is talking to here, what, what was their mentality theologically? They were of a work salvation paradigm. In other words, they believed by outward obedience as best as they could to the law of Moses that they would get saved by this outward obedience to the law. And, and so what they're saying to Jesus, what works must we do? They, what they have in their mind is, what, what, what do I got to do? What commandment do I got to do? I can guarantee that I'll have eternal life. And Jesus is saying to him, you got it all wrong. You're all, you're, you're, you're messed up spiritually. You don't understand. And so they're coming from this human works mentality and it's useless. It's all in vain. Let me draw what, what Paul said in Romans chapter nine. So turn with me to Romans chapter nine. And look at verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So Paul says, quoting Isaiah, God laid in Zion, which is the confines of the nation of Israel, 
he laid a, a precious stone, but they stumbled over it. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, by the way, quotes the very same thing, and, and it says, you stumbled over that stone. Well, who was that stone? It was Jesus was that cornerstone that you stumbled over. And because you didn't believe in Jesus by faith, then you stumbled and you, you didn't arrive. And you stumbled because you thought you could do something to earn it. And that's where you messed up. Because the work of God is not obedience per se to the law of Moses because you can't keep the law of Moses. That's why Paul in Galatians 3 makes it a point in Galatians 3.10 where he says, all of those who are of the works of the law are under a curse. Cursed are all those who do not abide by all of the works of the law to perform them. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. As Paul said in Romans 7, nothing wrong with the law. The problem is sin. That's the problem. Because if there was life that could come, it would be through the law. But my problem is sin is what is what who's the culprit. And so they thought they could keep the law. Remember James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point is guilty of them all. I've always said, you know, if you're in school and you make a 99, that's an A+. I'm telling you here, you make a 99 in God's test, you go to hell. Because you missed one. And all you need to do to, to end up in eternal destruction is to fail one time. So they're under this, this demand. And remember, that's how the young rich ruler, remember he came and he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's always interesting, Jesus says, well, you know the law. And he quotes several of the Ten Commandments. Interesting that Jesus would say that. And then the young man says, well, I've kept them. Is there any, any other thing that I need to do? Now, only I think it's Luke that says Jesus looked in compassion on him. In other words, Jesus says, you really don't understand, young rich ruler, what you've just said. So when he says, I've kept them all, is there anything extra? Oh, yeah, there is one more thing, Jesus says. Go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Whoa. He couldn't do it, could he? He wouldn't part with his money. So which commandment did he fail on? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. <laughs> That's, he did... I liken it to a baseball. He didn't get out of the batter's box. He failed on the first commandment. And that's why Jesus says, "How hard! it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man in the kingdom of God. And now the, the disciples, they, they are just, they're beside themselves. If this young man can't make it, they probably knew this young ruler. He was uh, probably an 
upstanding member of the community. But he went away sad. I still believe because the scripture says Jesus had compassion. I believe that's an indication that eventually the young man comes to know Christ. I don't see Jesus having compassion like that unless somewhere down the line, just same way with Nicodemus, if you recall. The way Jesus dealt with Nicodemus was different. We know later on that Nicodemus did come to believe because he went um, with Joseph of Arimathea and gave money, which was a huge amount for the burial uh, aloe that cost an enormous amount of money. So there's a difference here. But Jesus, he's, these Jews, they want, they want a sign that they, they, that they may believe, okay? And Jesus says, well, do the work of faith. Let me just draw your attention to John 17 later, what uh, Jesus prayed in John 17, 3. He says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is eternal life, that you believe in me. And in 1 John 3, 23, it says, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, he's commanded. So the commandment of God to the world is, believe in me. That is the work of God. Believe in me. And so in, in verse 30 here, these Jews say, they demand a sign and say, what work do you perform that we might believe? I can imagine what Jesus was thinking. What do you think the feeding of the 5,000 was meant? I just fed you out with five loaves of bread and two fish. And you still didn't get it. I did do that sign for you. So why are you asking me what sign am I to do? Again, they cannot escape from their work salvation paradigm. <clears throat> so what we can say about these Jews is that they, they, were, they were doing the works of worldly men in contrast to the true work of God which was to believe in Jesus. Now in verse 31, you know what the Jews did? These Jews whom Jesus just talked to, they appealed to Moses. They said, well, Moses fed us manna from heaven. Jesus says, wait a minute. Moses didn't feed you manna from heaven. It was my father who gave you manna from heaven. So let's get that straight. And... <clears throat> And then Jesus says to these Jews, not only is it my father gave you that food and not Moses, but my father gives you, hear the words of Jesus, the true bread, the true bread from heaven. In other words, he has given you me. I am 
the bread of life. So like the Samaritan woman who wanted the water that always quenches your thirst, Jesus says, then you need, you need to believe in me, Samaritan woman. These Jews, you want the bread of God? You need to believe in me. But look how he says in verse 36, Jesus says, you have seen me, but you do not believe. I just want to stress as we close here is that Jesus is saying, the miracles are designed to create awe The miracles are pointing to Jesus as the real Messiah. So when you see the miracle, you need to make the connection. Jesus is the Messiah. I need to believe in him for eternal life. And yet, many people did not make that connection. And why did they make that connection? Well, we're going to see the next time I'm with you. I'm not going to be with you next Sunday because I'm going to be in Clarksville. But the next time I'm with you, that whole section is a great section in John 6, 37 and following of what we call effectual calling. Meaning God sends his spirit to his elect and only the elect believe. Now you understand the context of what Jesus is going to say to them. Because the only way that you and I can, can profit from what we see is if the Holy Spirit is drawing us. Without the Spirit, we're not going to get it. That shows you the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll never see it. And without the Spirit giving us ears to hear, we will never hear. Without the Spirit giving us eyes to see, we're never going to see. And the only difference is, and like in my own testimony, as I told you, I grew up in high school as an agnostic, go off to Utah. God was merciful to me is all I can say. And when I come back, Tennessee and I've witnessed to my high school buddies who were intellectually better than I was. Several of them made perfect scores on the SAT and the ACT. John didn't do that. They didn't hear what I was telling them about Jesus. They couldn't hear. And why couldn't they hear? Because the spirit was not working in them. That's why. So, you know, we're dealing with the lost. One of the most important things that you and I can do is to pray for them that God have mercy to open their ears and to open their eyes. Because unless God has mercy, they will not do it. And though it's hard to understand, 
though the Spirit's necessary, whose fault is it if we don't believe? It's not God's fault. It's our fault. Jesus says, you should have believed. Why did he condemn those cities? Like Capernaum. Because you saw, but you didn't, you did, it didn't profit you when it should have. Well, I wasn't one of the elect. So, I mean, we, we must not confuse that wonderful doctrine of election and predestination with human responsibility. Somehow, they, they, there's a mystery about how they relate. I'll close with this. I think this is the reason God had this happen in my early days of ministry, in my first church in Coburn, Virginia. There was a guy there. He was struggling. He was a member of the church, and he was struggling with this idea of predestination and election. So he had me come over. I came over and was talking to him. And we talked for a while, and um, a red flag went up because when he thought about the other religions of the world, doesn't God have a chance with them? I knew that now we're now we're in a different territory. There's something more basically wrong with them. He says, I just don't believe. He says, I don't, his word, this is what his very words were to me. I don't know if I'm one of the elect. I said to him, you want to solve that right now? <laughs> That's what I said. I said, we can settle the issue right now. Believe in Jesus and all your heart and you can settle it. But John, I said, no, no. Did you hear what I said? We can settle it right now. And for 30 minutes, I talked with him, told him how he could prove that he was one of the elect by simply believing in Jesus. And he, and he couldn't do it. Isn't that something? You know, Acts 13, 48 says, as many as were ordained to eternal life, that means predestined to eternal life, as many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. See, the proof of our predestination election is that we believe. I know Joe used to talk about See if you can believe. Just try to see if you can believe. If you can believe, then the Holy Spirit's at work. That's the work of God. Believe that I have been sent and I am the Messiah and I am the real bread. Let's pray. Lord, be with us and teach us. And we thank you that you have given us spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And we praise your holy name for this. We ask, we, we give thanks in Jesus' name, amen.